the theme for this weekend is this. Our missionaries, your concern. And so I assume that the leadership and the missions committee wanted to try to lay a little bit more of the burden on your shoulders as a person in this church. You know, there's, there's kind of this idea that missionaries are on a pedestal, and they certainly should be because they are unique people. They're incredible people. But what I want to do this morning is to put you on a pedestal. I'm not speaking to missionaries this morning. I'm talking to those of you who are not missionaries. Not everybody should be a missionary. Somebody's got to stay home and keep the lights on and uh, get missionaries there. But what I think the missions committee wanted was for those of you that are staying behind to embrace this idea that you are, you are co-workers with those missionaries on the front lines. And as I thought about this particular uh, theme, I immediately went to 3 John to an individual by the name of Gaius. So he's gonna be our model. Gaius was an individual just like you. He wasn't a missionary. He was a guy in a church, but he loved missionaries and he did certain things to be of assistance to them. And so what we want to do is to use his example this morning to try to encourage you to gain a concern and a practical involvement with the missionaries that you support. He says in verse five, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts to these brothers, strangers as they are. And we're saying, who are the brothers? Who are these strangers that he talks about in verse five? Well, he gives us a hint in verse seven, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. We tend to call those people today missionaries. People that have gone out for the sake of the name to take, carry the name of Christ where it is not named. And so we're gonna be taking a look at, at a personal letter that John writes to his friend Gaius and he just wants to encourage them. And that's what I wanna do here this morning. I hope that you'll be encouraged. And what we're gonna do is I wanna walk you through six of the phrases in these few verses that will lead to a crescendo with the sixth phrase that I hope you'll get really excited about. And so we wanna walk our way through the first five, but really I want you to stay awake and I'll, I'll, I'll try to jerk you awake when we get to number six, just those of you that are dozing and drifting a little bit. will come back and join me because that's the impact of this particular passage as we think in terms of what God wants you to do to make our missionaries your concern. The first phrase that we're gonna look at is this one right here in verse six. You do well to send them on their journey. He's commending them for the fact that Gaius was helping missionaries to accomplish their purpose. And he uses an interesting word there in the Greek, and I realize you didn't come Sunday morning to a church service to have a Greek lesson, but this is such a cool word. Uh, I couldn't bypass this. You gotta get this word. The word is propempo. That's how you'd pronounce it. Propempo. It's a rich, deep word. It basically has the idea of providing for someone as they go on their journey. That's the basic essence of this word propempo. I was a missionary in South Africa for a number of years, and we were working with European culture, and part of that European culture was this. You would invite someone over to their, your home for dinner, and after dinner, you would pack up the leftovers and give it to them, and as they left, they would take the leftovers back home, and you would walk out the door and stand there as they got in their car and stand there and wave to them as they left. You, you know, here in the States, we, we sort of do it differently. If someone comes over to your house 
and kind of they're ready to leave. You're right in the middle of a ball game. You say, well, well, we'll see you when you come back and we just keep watching the ball game. But that's not Propempo. Propempo is saying, I want to make sure that you've got sufficient for your journey. And it was obviously just symbolic in, in that culture there in South Africa where we gave them food because they weren't going to starve before they got home. But it's this idea that I'm going to provision you and make sure that you are well supplied so that as you take your journey, you have what you need. And Paul, uh, John here is writing to, to Gaius and he says, that's what you do for missionaries. You propempo them. Now, this word actually shows up in a number of different places throughout Scripture. Here it's translated, send them. That's the word this the, the word propempo. In Romans chapter 15, verse 24, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He's writing to the church at Rome. And here's the word propempo. Be helped on my journey. Paul was not shy as a missionary to come to a church and say, I need your help. I'm going to Spain, but I'm going to stop by and see you. I want you to propempo me. I want you to supply what I need for the next phase of my journey. And he wasn't shy about asking them to do that. In Acts chapter 13, or 15, verse 3, it's, and here's our word propempo, and being brought on their way by the church. There's the word propempo. The church there had taken care of this missionary team. In Acts chapter 21, we see the word, same word appears. And when they had accomplished those days, we departed on our way and they brought us on our way. That's the word propempo. They brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. We kneeled down on the shore and we prayed and they said goodbye to Paul as he got on the ship. They could have just stayed back in their home and said, well, Paul, goodbye. But they walked with him down to the shore. They went down to the docks. They kneeled and they prayed. They provisioned him. They propempoed him for the next step of his journey. The same word appears in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, and I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may, and here's our word propempo, that you may bring me on my journey. Again, Paul is not awkward or shy to say, I need your help. I want you to propempo me. The same word appears in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men, and you approve, and send them with your gift. That's propempo them on their way to Jerusalem. Or, or Titus chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, brings Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently. And here's our word propempo. See that they lack nothing. Are you beginning to see why this is such a critical word when it comes to missions? Our role for those of us that stay back home is to propempo missionaries to see that they lack nothing, that we provision them with what they need for the next step of their journey. So this is really important as we sort of work our way to number six. The first idea that is put forward here is we are to propempo those that have gone for the sake of the gospel. And so your role, if you're going to stay home and not be a missionary, is to propempo missionaries. Your role is to make certain that they have provisions for the next phase of their journey as they do their missionary work. So that's a good word. It's an important word as we try to frame up this idea of our missionaries, your concern, 
Your concern ought to be that as missionaries leave here this weekend, that they are propempoed. And that as you read prayer letters that you see, are these missionaries being propempoed? That's your role. So this is, this is flowing straight from Scripture. Your concern is to propempo. The second phrase, you are to do it in a manner worthy of God. Now that raises the bar. I had a, up until January, I was, I was director of a mission organization, and I had a, a pastor call me one day, and he, he said, I think you're paying missionaries too much. Well, I said, well, in the first place, we don't really pay missionaries. We process funds that churches give to missionaries. But what I think he was implying is we set support levels too high. In other words, that is part of our role. We, we understand what it costs to live in a certain country. We know what the exchange rates are. We know the cost of living. We know the trajectory of the dollar, all that kind of stuff. It all goes into a formula. We figure out, okay, this is really what the support schedule is for this country. And that's why support schedules vary so much because every country you go to is different. And so I was taking the blame, and I said, yes, we do set the support levels. And he was saying, well, you set it too high. I said, well, what level do you think we ought to set the support levels for? And he said, well, they ought to live like the natives. And I said, really? I said, so if you want to send somebody to Luxembourg, are you willing to pay them $250,000 a year? Because that's how the natives live in Luxembourg. And all of a sudden, he started backtracking because he's thinking, well, maybe we could, for 30 bucks a month, support a missionary because he can live in a hut somewhere. But the world is our mission field. And some people are indeed in huts. That's how I grew up. My parents were missionaries in, in a remote area of Nigeria. But other people are living in Luxembourg, and they're living in high-cost places such as Hong Kong. And much of the world is actually more expensive to live in than it is here in the United States. So this missionary, or this pastor was taking me to task a little bit uh, for, for the amount of money that we were allowing missionaries to earn. And I thought of this verse. How are we supposed to support missionaries? At what level? It'd be nice if God had just given us a dollar figure, wouldn't it? But instead, he says, in a manner worthy of God. That is a tougher standard than simply saying X amount. Because when I give, I am to be giving as if I'm giving to God. It needs to be worthy of what God would receive. Jesus put it this way, the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say unto you, as you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it for me. Jesus was basically saying, the way you treat other people is the way you're treating me. And there's a responsibility for those that are working in the gospel, for pastors, missionaries, and evangelists, for those that work in missions work and in the ministry to be supported by the ministry. And here he says, you ought to do it in a manner worthy of God. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, they were required to bring their animals to the tabernacle or to the temple and have them sacrificed. And, and, uh, and God made it really clear. He said, if, if you're going to bring your animals to, the sac to, to be sacrificed, 
I want you to go to your flock and pick out your very best. Now, that's counterintuitive because what's going to happen is we're going to take that lamb to the temple. It's going to be slaughtered. It's going to be put on an altar. It's going to be burned up. Nobody's going to have lamb chops. Nobody's getting any good out of this thing. So why wouldn't we give the runt of the litter? We certainly don't want that one in our flock. But God said, you know, if you're going to worship me, you're not going to give me the leftovers. You're going to give me the best. As I mentioned, my parents were missionaries in, in Nigeria, and uh, that's where I grew up. And back in that era, of course, being in Nigeria is very remote and underdeveloped, and there wasn't much that you could buy there. And so basically, they had to take everything with them when, when, they, were, when they left to go to the field. And so on furloughs, they were gathering all these supplies and shipping them back. But churches were aware of this, and, and they were very generous and gracious because as we were on the field, they would, around the middle of summer or so, they would put together boxes and ship them to the field. And it would take, you know, six months for it to get there. So these things would start arriving about, uh, about, about December. And, and we had fabulous Christmases because churches really loved missionaries and they would, they, they would send us all kinds of stuff. And in those boxes, they would start to pile up in the corner of our house there, uh, out in this village where we live. And uh, the anticipation was rising, and Christmas was an exciting day as we opened these boxes from churches in North America. And in there, there was a number of different things. Uh, there, were, there were bandages. My mom was a nurse. And back in those days, of course, there wasn't a pharmacy you could run down to. And so uh, what, mich- what, what ladies did in churches around the United States is they'd take old sheets and they'd rip them up and, and, and roll them as bandages. Anybody here ever do that? You're betraying your age if you've done that. Uh, that's what they used to do. And we knew that in those boxes there were probably bandages, but we as kids weren't too interested in that. But we knew there were toys and there was candy in those boxes. And, and, and these churches in the States just loved us and supplied for us. And we had fabulous Christmases. But periodically in those boxes would also come used tea bags. It really happened. You probably heard these stories, but it really did happen. And I, don't, I can't tell you what the motive was as to why people sent used tea bags. And before I go on with the story, I've got no problems with you giving me a used tea bag. I'll give you my address in Atlanta. You can ship them down there. I got used to this as a missionary kid, so uh, we'll use your used tea bags. I've got no problem receiving them. But if the motivation of the donor was, these are kind of leftovers, let's just give them to the missionaries because they don't have much and they'll appreciate anything. There's a problem there because of this idea. We are to be giving in a manner worthy of God. If Jesus came to your house, would you give him your leftover tea bags? That's literally what's happening here. And so as we think in terms of propempoing missionaries, we are instructed to do it in a manner worthy of God. The third phrase, they have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, I copied down a whole bunch of verses here. This is a theme that just runs rampant throughout Scripture. This idea that, that the name of Christ is exalted over others. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We have done this for the name's sake. And so this, this phrase appears over and over again through Scripture, and it would be It'd be several minutes for me to read all of these verses that I've copied down, but they're all talking about the fact that we do this for the sake of the name of Jesus. Missionaries don't do this for themselves. Now, we could have some wrong motivations. It's possible that a missionary would have some wrong motivations. And we might even have some good motivations that really aren't the ultimate ones. We we might be motivated because 
There are people that have never heard the name of Jesus, and that ought to motivate us because we, we, our hearts go out to those that have never heard the gospel story. We, we, we may be motivated by the lostness of man. We may be motivated simply out of obedience. God told us where to take the gospel to the whole world, so we better do it. But ultimately, the motivation that we ought to have as missionaries ought to be vertical, and that is for his glory, for his name. We ought to be driven by the fact that God is the one that wants me to do this. It is for his glory, it's for his name that I ought to be involved and motivated in this thing that we call missions. So it's the glory of God, his sake, his name, that ultimately is what's driving missionaries. Uh, I sort of alluded to it in our Sunday school hour. No one in their right mind would be a missionary. It has to be that God has laid his hand on an individual and has propelled him into the ministry that we have. And so it is because of the fact that we understand the glory of God that we are driven into this thing called missions. Phrase number four in verse seven. He said, these people that have gone out for the sake of his name accept nothing from the Gentiles. Now that's just kind of logical, isn't it? There's no place in the world that you can sort of get off the airplane and the local people are there saying, boy, are we glad you arrived to give us the gospel. Here's your salary. You know, it just doesn't happen. We don't expect unsaved people to pay the salary for missionaries. That's why we as a church and people like Gaius have that as a responsibility. In our world, the world of non-denominational churches, we operate by what we call faith missions. If you came from sort of a denominational background, you might be used to doing a different model where, where the churches would send money into the denominational headquarters, and if someone was going to be a missionary, they would just go to the headquarters, and then they would pay them a salary. But for non-denominational churches, you have opted toward this idea of faith missions where you choose what missionaries you want to support. Some of them you've sent out from your church. Some are from other churches that you're assisting them as they send them out. But you're in the driver's seat. You're choosing who you want to support. And so the idea is, in faith missions, it's faith simply because if people that have promised and churches that have promised to support us send in the check, we get a salary. If they don't, we don't. It's just that simple. We're trusting God to provide for us, and it's basically the generosity and the consistency of those that are going to be supporting us to say, yeah, we'll support you. And so a missionary support, though they may have a support level here, is bouncing around here all the time because maybe someone forgot to send in the check this month, or maybe they just didn't do it. And so we see God providing for us in a variety of different ways. And I've lived this way my whole life because my parents as missionaries and myself as a missionary. You know, God has taken abundantly good care of us, and we are blessed to be able to live this way. There is, however, a bit of resistance to this today in our world because as I try to spend my time encouraging people to go to the field and recruiting future missionaries, Probably the most frequent objection I get is I don't want to have to go out and raise support. We call it deputation or friend raising or pre-field. You know, we got all these names for it, but basically it's trying to find those that would stand behind us financially and help us to get to the mission field. And there's a lot of resistance to this these days that the people don't want to do that. Now we won't do it right now, but there's plenty in scripture that justifies that those that are in the gospel need to be supported in that ministry. And so it's not something that we are ashamed of or backward 
about. It's the way that God has designed this thing to happen. But yet there is somewhat of a resistance to this because they sort of view it as going around begging for money. I'd like to make two statements to kind of twist your thinking a little bit on this subject. And for you to maybe think of this a little bit differently than what you have in the past. Number one is missionaries don't need your support. You say, yeah, but they're coming and asking us for support. They don't need your support. God can provide for them. Actually, before they became a missionary, all of us were earning a living, doing something. And we could go back to earning a living and we could provide for our family. So we don't really need a salary per se. So that when you support a missionary, you're really not supporting them. You're supporting the vision that God has placed upon their heart to take the gospel to someone else that hasn't heard. You need to reframe your thinking that way, that you are not really supporting missionaries. You're supporting the cause of Christ and providing for people that you probably will never meet until you get to heaven. You're providing for them an avenue through which they can hear the gospel. The second statement, missionaries support you. I was talking to a pastor down in Virginia that uh, their church gives them about a million dollars a year to missions. And uh, I said, well, how many missionaries do you guys support? And he says, none. Well, I thought maybe he didn't understand the question that I was asking. So I kind of repeated it and he gave me the same answer. He says, none. So I finally realized he was trying to teach me something. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, uh, we don't support missionaries, they support us. I said, what do you mean? He said, without those missionaries, we would be living in disobedience to the Great Commission. You see, without missionaries that are here now, you have the responsibility of the Great Commission. You have the responsibility to get the gospel out to the rest of the world. If there were not missionaries, you would right now be living in disobedience to the Great Commission. And these missionaries are doing you a favor so they support you in your living in obedience to Christ. And that's why it's so important that we accept nothing from the Gentiles. They don't need your support. They're supporting you. Think through that paradigm as you propempo missionaries. They are giving you an opportunity to live consistent with what God expects of you as you stay home. Statement number five. Therefore, because of this, since non-believers won't support Christian workers, we ought to support people like these. Now, as we read that word ought, it kind of leaves us, we can sort of skip over that word, can't we? But, but if you're reading this in the Greek, it would arrest your attention because it actually is a financial term. We owe it to these to support them. We are indebted to these missionaries. You are in debt to those that are willing to take the gospel to someplace else in the world. If a person is a missionary, you owe them, is what he's saying to Gaius. And that's, again, a little bit of a different idea than we think of when we think of supporting missionaries. But he basically comes right out and says it. Jesus says the laborer is worthy of his hire. Paul affirmed this principle by saying, don't muzzle the ox that treads the grain. First Timothy chapter five, it says to honor those that labor in the word. And those that labor in the word are, are worthy of double honor. That's why you pay your pastors. That's why you salary them. 
That's why you support missionaries and evangelists and those that are in Christian ministry. That's why we do this, that God has designed it to work that way. We are indebted to those in ministry to propemple them, to care for them. So he says, therefore, we ought to, we are committed to supporting people like these. Now, here we come to number six. If you've been dozing on me or drifting a little bit or a little bit sleepy, wake up now. Come on, get with me. Because here's the exciting part of this passage. Uh, You'll be really encouraged by this next one. This is sort of the culmination of it. He says, we do all that we've been talking about now, now this morning that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Doug alluded to this last night. He says, when missionaries go out and they win people to Christ, they get credited to your account. That's this idea here. This repeated. He used a different passage, but it's a principle in the New Testament. You are fellow workers. Now, the Greek word that comes underneath that, or that is the word, is a word from which we get the word synergy. And if you know that word, it's a fascinating word because synergy has the idea of, of, of one plus one equals three. And I know that's bad math, but it's good theology and it's good teamwork. Because when you pair up, when you synergize with someone else, you actually end up with greater results than if each of you are just operating independently of each other. Yes, there are those that God has propelled to the mission fields of the world. And we put them on a pedestal, but this morning I want to put you on a pedestal because you are a fellow worker. You're a synergized one with that individual. The word synergy could be illustrated by plywood. You know what plywood is? It's just real thin pieces of wood that they keep gluing on top of each other. And any one of those little layers, you could just break it like that. But by the time you glue them together, by the time you synergize them, you have a hard piece of timber that has to be cut with a saw. That's the idea behind synergy, that we get synergized together with those that are on the front lines. And as, as John is writing to Gaius, he says, you are the... No, he's not. He stays home. But John is teaching him that he is a co-worker with those missionaries. And so synergy is a fascinating concept. We can either go out and try to do it by ourselves... But if we could synergize, if we could team up, we can accomplish so much more. Wildlife biologists tell us that a flock of geese, when they fly in a V shape, a V formation, they are actually adding at least 71% to their flying efforts because each one helps with the the, the, the airflow, and, and that's why they fly in that V, because they can, they can fly a lot less with a lot less effort, a lot further by them working together in that V shape. And every once in a while, someone else takes the lead and they keep fly, you know, swapping around. Why? Why do they do that? Because they are synergized together. And that's the imagery that he's putting across here. As a co-worker, you are synergized with those missionaries. You're in a V formation. You're enabling them to fly further and faster. This same word, synergeo, the Greek word, is oftentimes translated co-worker, fellow worker. As you read the New Testament, as you come across those phrases, workers together, uh, dig a little bit deeper, you'll find the word synergy there. And this is what John is telling Gaius. You are a synergized one with them. 
There's a story in the Old Testament about David who had a bunch of guys that were, were, were kind of fighting wars with him and, and they had gone after, they were out fighting as, as they came back home and crested the hill, they saw the smoke rising from their, their hometown. The Amalekites had come in, they had ransacked the city, they had taken their wives and their possessions, then they burned their city. And they sat down and wept because here they were off fighting another war and all of a sudden they become the victims. And as they sort of gathered their thoughts, they say, well, well, let's go after these Amalekites and see if we can get back our wives and our kids. And so they take off in hot pursuit after them. And as they take off after them, keep in mind, they had already been fighting and so they were dead tired. And about a third of them said, we can't take another step. We're flat out tired. We just can't do this. In spite of the fact that they have our children and our possessions and our wives, we just can't do it. And so David says, well, well, you guys just stay here. Don't worry about it. You stay here. Let's offload all of our stuff that we don't need to fight the battle. And you guys watch after it. We're going to take off. Anybody that is, is able and willing, let's go. And so they took off after them. They caught up with the Amalekites. They got back their wives and their children and their possessions. And it, it was a happy ending until they started going back home. And when they got back to where the third of them were with their possessions, they started saying, well, these guys didn't go into the battle. We'll give them their wives and their kids, but we're not going to give them back their stuff. Here's what David said. The one, um, the share of the man who shared with the supplies is to be the same as that of him that went into battle. All will share alike. You've been missionaries that you've sent off into the battle. You stayed home. Who are you, some chump? Are you a lower citizen in God's kingdom? No, not at all. You are a synergized one. You're a co-worker together with those missionaries that have gone to the front lines of the battle. And that story kind of illustrates this concept that the one who goes out there needs you to propempo them to be with them, to support them, to encourage them, to pray for them, to do all of this stuff. Why? Because you are their co-worker. That's why Paul would write, the one plants, the one waters. They'll all be recorded, uh, rewarded according to their own input and their own participation. And God promises to reward us for our endeavors. One of the great, incredible things about God is we, we really, we serve as slaves, but he treats us as servants. Slaves don't get paid, servants do. And he says, I'm gonna pay you, don't worry, I'm keeping track. You, you just hand somebody a cup of cold water. I'm keeping track of that and I'm gonna repay you for that. And the word for reward is often a, 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 the word repayment or to, 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 to write a check, so to speak, to actually reimburse you for the expenses. And if God keeps track of every single glass of water that you give in the name of Christ, don't you think he's gonna, he's, he's gonna reward you and pay attention to what you're doing as you propel missionaries? The day is coming when you're gonna be rewarded, not because you went to the mission field yourself, but because you were a synergized one, a co-worker with a missionary that you helped to provision, to propempo to that mission field in the world. One of my sporting churches down in West Virginia, and uh, that church has supported us for, for years. And there's a couple there in that church, Oscar and Ruby, that just love missionaries. 
And uh, everybody knows, every missionary that goes there knows that they're loved by Oscar and Ruby. Now, the whole church loves missions, but Oscar and Ruby just sort of stand out. Uh, one of the routines was when you go there, you know, after church Sunday evening, uh, you have to go out for pizza with Oscar and Ruby. They just want to spend time with missionaries. They're going to buy you pizza. And uh, Oscar and Ruby just love missionaries. Every missionary that's supported by that church knows them. And one of the things they do is they pray. Now, Oscar and Ruby, Oscar is dead now. But uh, Oscar and Ruby, I don't know if they've ever left West Virginia. They've never gone to the mission fields of the world. They're, they're qu very quiet people, uh, not outspoken at all. They've worked in a factory most of their life, haven't earned a lot of money. But they have loved missionaries and been generous in giving to missionaries. I was there a while back at that church, and Ruby came up to me, and she says, you know, I pray for you. pray for you every day. And she says... Because of my old age, I, I don't sleep as well at night, so I actually pray for you more than once a day because in the middle of the night, I just start praying for missionaries. And if you were to meet this couple, you might not be impressed by them as outgoing, as missionary material, as the kind of people that would be, be missionaries or that could be in ministry vocationally. But they have been synergized with missionaries. And one of these days, we're going to get notice that Ruby has gone to heaven. And when she goes to heaven, my response is going to be, I've just lost a co-worker. A co-worker as important as missionary colleagues of mine on the mission field are those that are back here behind, propempoing me, supporting me, praying for me, encouraging me. They are my co-workers. And so as you think of yourself, you may not think of yourself as a missionary and you could just never even imagine doing what some of these people up here have talked about. That doesn't change anything. You can be a Gaius. You can propempo missionaries. You can make sure that they are provisioned. You can pray for them. You can get engaged because from God's vantage point, your activity in the missions endeavor makes you a co-worker. You're a synergized one. You're a fellow worker for the truth. And let me encourage you to realize that none of what you're doing goes past the attention of Jesus. And he's keeping track of that. And the day is going to come where some of you are going to get a missionary reward. You say, I've never been a missionary. Oh, yeah. You were engaged in the Great Commission because you were like Gaius. You propempoed missionaries. And so that's my encouragement to you this morning. Our missionaries, your concern. Get engaged because God will pay attention, notice, and reward you as a co-worker. Father, I pray that you would indeed help each one here that has been a faithful Gaius for all of these years. Continue to bless them, I pray. Perhaps others that are not really on board yet, I pray that today you would help them to commit to being a Gaius, and that, Lord, you would just raise up a whole army of Gaiuses that would be co-workers with those on the front lines. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.